Bye. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The south... The souther? Stout-hearted. Stout-hearted. Yeah, sorry. It's one of those English so words. It just doesn't the work. Side here, just like, the south? The, the middle <laughs> earth? What? The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All of the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are, uh, are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Yes, okay, cool. All right. A relevant psalm, I think. Mm, indeed. Um, what's that? Indeed. Yeah. Very, very um, timely. Yeah, so, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, so as we draw near to God in prayer today, um, of course, we should be praying for the people in Ukraine, um, and we're also instructed to pray for our enemies, so uh, so also pray for the leaders of Russia, including Vladimir Putin, um, and peace, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I was sort of thinking about this whole situation last night. Um, just how God has given humankind some wonderful abilities, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel incident, God says that humans will be able to do whatever they put their mind to, and that's pretty much been true. Um, and so we can put it to good use, but we can, we're also fallen, and so we've put it to bad use and made things like nuclear weapons. Um, and it seems that we're getting very close to a line where they may end up being used. Um, all I can say, uh, you know, is what Jesus said, when speaking of uh, the time before he was to return, he said um, that you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So, um, any other prayer requests other for them, the situation in Ukraine? Certainly, Barbara Mann. Okay. Let's pray then. I think uh, we could devote our, the fullness of our prayer time, or, or most of it, to the, the war. So, um, God, uh, we we come to you with uh, with problems that that are uh, or situations that are local. Uh, as we pray for Barbara, but. Uh, um, but also uh, the, uh, the things happening in uh, Ukraine and in Russia, and um, it can be uh, difficult to 
know exactly what's going on because you know there's the fog of war and there's propaganda and, and there's all of that coming from all different directions. Um, I am very thankful for you, God, that we have a God that um, is big enough to have a handle, to have a control on everything without us having to know every little detail. Um, in fact, you, you uh, God, you seem to make a trend of keeping us in the dark about a great many things, yet still, um, as you tell us in Scripture, working all things together for the good for those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose. Um, so I pray for peace there. I pray for uh, that it would not escalate, but uh, we, we know that if it does, that you are still in control of everything. Um, and pray for the Ukrainians that you would... Uh, uh, that you would protect them and that you would um, bring a resolution there. But we also pray uh, for the Russian side of that war as well, that, um, you know, it's difficult to know what we should pray for for our enemies, but you, you do instruct us to love them, Lord. But so we do pray um, for peace, uh, and we pray that uh, you would bring uh, your conviction that, that those... Um, that those uh, in Russia and the Russian army and the Russian government that are um, that know you or are uh, or are righteous in the ways of this world um, without knowing you that they would uh, uh, you would give them your wisdom and that uh, that peace would prevail, Lord. Uh, and. Uh, uh, Lord, once again, um, it's difficult to know what to pray uh, about that and about that situation, Lord. But we pray that uh, your will would be done and that you would use us uh, to accomplish your will, that we would be obedient to the things that you have for us, God. Um, so I pray that you would be with us today as we look at Leviticus and, um, and talk about uh, what you might have for us there, um, and as we worship you and praise you. And so thank you, Lord. Um, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this all in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Well, we've looked to Russia and we've looked to Ukraine. Now let's look toward home for a little bit. Amen.
I didn't use the word stout-hearted in my sermon here. <laughs> ah, what are the odds? <laughs> well, also a All right. Um, so let's read Leviticus chapter 5. Right. Is that too loud? I, I mean, I, I don't know that it is. I'm just asking. No, you're fine. Okay, cool. All right. Yes, we have the technology. All right. Um, so, Leviticus. Pages are too thin. Also, I brought the. Uh, I have a, this Bible I brought. It has like. Hebrew and Greek words like in it, like it underlines them and tells you the strongest number you can learn them up, look them up. But there's also random words that are underlined because of that. So if I add weird emphases and fosses to some of these words, that's what's going on. Uh, let's see. It's like in some versions where they have like in italics words that are sort of added that aren't in the Greek or Hebrew, it just clarifies them. But then it looks like they're trying to emphasize a really awkward word in the middle of the verse. All right, uh, Leviticus chapter 5. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. 
or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanliness of whatever sort of uncleanliness may be with which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good or any sort of rash oath, that people swear, uh, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as compensation, his compensation for the sin, that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for sin, that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely, and he shall sprinkle some blood, uh, some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, but he shall be, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it, uh, this on the altar. On the Lord's food offerings, it is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priests and for the grain offering. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of these things, uh, any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of these things, that by the Lord's commandment ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. All right. So, all right, so um, let's look at what we have here in Leviticus. I've got a couple of kind of nitty gritty things uh, to start with, then we'll move on to the big picture. Um, the sacrifice, sacrifices in this chapter 
are for unintentional sins. Um, and if you just hear that, you might think, oh, these are sins that people don't do on purpose. Um, and, and when I hear that, it's like, well, how can you have an unintentional sin? I thought God cared about our hearts, about our intentions, uh, and, and perhaps less about the actions. So um, yes and no. There's an old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, I think that saying goes a little bit too far. The New Testament makes it clear that God is interested in our inmost being, uh, our heart, and the trend uh that trend that God is interested in the heart above and beyond the the uh, the outward physical stuff is definitely there. You know, you have the passages like in the prophets where God's like, "Well, if I if I were hungry, I wouldn't come to you. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't give sacrifices from you." So, what do we what are we to make of these kind of unintentional sins? Um, I think we can get some insight on what they mean by looking at what they're contrasted with in Scripture. Um, so let's look at the, some of the context uh, to help shed light on what it means. Uh, if we look at Numbers 15, um, we can get where this, there's a section where it contrasts unintentional sins with uh, what it terms intentional sins. I think it's pretty informative, uh, starting in verse 25 in Numbers 15. Verse 25 says, Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be forgiven... For it was an unintentional wrong, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord, for their unintentional wrong. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven, as well as the stranger who resides among them, for guilt was attributed to all the people through an unintentional wrong. Also, if one person unintentionally sins, then he shall offer a one-year-old female excuse me, goat as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray by an unintentional sin, making atonement for him so that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for the native among the sons of Israel and for the stranger who resides among them, for the one who does anything wrong unintentionally. But, so this is the contrast here, but the person who does wrong defiantly, whether he is native or a stranger, that one is blaspheming the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Since he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Um, so there's this little bit there about people who do wrong defiant, defiantly. And if you look at the Hebrew there, uh, it's translated literally, it means with a high hand. Um, you know, like like this, maybe. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's like this. But this seems more defiant to me. Um, with a high hand. So it's the, the image of someone shaking their fist at God or raising your hands to God while you're doing a sin. It's Essentially, it's committing a sin with pride and with defiance. So uh, we see in this chapter that God... Uh, so so there's, there's the difference there. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into that perhaps a little bit more, defiant sins and that sort of thing. But that's, that's the... Uh, that's the two sides of it there. A defiant sin versus an undefiant sin uh, where perhaps someone has done something wrong um, because I don't know how you can unintentionally not come forward as a witness if you are, if there's a public announcement that, hey, you need to come forward as a witness if you know anything about this. But you can perhaps do it undefiantly. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, we see also in this chapter that God does... Uh, the sacrificial system on a sliding scale. 
um, that the rich pay more and the poor pay less. Um, I think this is the pattern that we see throughout scripture um, where God readily recognizes the cards that we've been dealt because as the creator, he dealt them, right? Um, he expects us, uh, of us rather, proportionately to what we've received. Maybe monetarily, but I think you can easily make the argument in terms of skills, um, uh, you know, uh, mental abilities, etc. All the things that we've been given that we didn't, you know, work to attain, all that stuff that came directly from God, um, is essentially what we get in the parable of the talents, right? God expects the person who received five talents at the beginning to return five. He doesn't hold them to the same scale as the person who received ten. God's not like, well, you didn't get ten, you didn't end up with ten additional ta talents, so you're in trouble. Um, he expects from them in proportion to what they've received. Once again, just going through a couple uh, things that stuck out before we dive into some bigger points. Um, this this uh, this last point, I have to credit Ian for kind of pointing it out to me. So thank you, Ian. You would have had rewards in heaven, but now that I pointed it out, <laughs> you're out of luck. So um, I, other things, I'm sure. Um, verse 14 and onwards, it talks about the sacrifices needed if someone unintentionally sins against the holy things. So, um, uh, you know, they got the big menorah or something, and you have too much sacramental wine, you fall and you break the menorah. Right? Maybe. I, I, it seems like um, that's what it's talking about. Damage to, well, it, it is what it's talking about. Damage to the temple's holy things. And there isn't a sliding scale for that, interestingly. Um, there's no, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're poor and you damage one of the, the temple's instruments, that you only have to pay half of what it's worth in two turtle doves. No, it makes you pay uh, all of what it's worth, plus a fifth, plus a ram. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And this, I think, makes a good point about God's holiness, um, that there are certain things that just deserve more respect and should be approached very carefully and reverently, um, and you're not going to get off easily if you don't. Obviously, we have no temple now, um, but the fact, and I don't think we should just apply it to like, okay, you shouldn't, like, if you break a chair on the church, you should, no, because the church is not the, the, the temple. There was never, the, the, the church building as a special thing is not something you get anywhere in the New Testament. Screeching is Jonah's love language. Um, so, we, we don't have a temple, but the fact still remains there are certain things we need to approach with respect and reverence. God, most of all, obviously, um, but uh, I, I think you could probably include with that uh, communion, uh, the other sacraments like marriage, um, and, and uh, humans too, right? right? Other people that should be uh, approached with respect because if they're Christians, they're vessels of the Holy Spirit, but even if not, they're divine image bearers of God. Um, okay. A couple little small things. I want to get into bigger picture uh, stuff, I, I think, that's that's bigger than just this chapter. Um, and uh, I, I missed, uh, because I was out of town, I missed Steve's first couple of sermons. So perhaps he covered some of this. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah. So, but, but I think most Christians, when we read Leviticus for the first time, our first question in the back of our minds is, do these laws apply to us? Um, now... And there, there are all sorts of 
people approach it in different ways, sometimes uh, selectively, right? Sometimes people will say, well, okay, Leviticus says that, um, yeah, says things about whether homosexuality is a sin or not, right next to it, it, uh, it right next to where it says that we shouldn't eat shellfish, and, you know, some people pick and choose, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but, but how do we, how do we rightly divide Leviticus, right? Um, and so there are a bunch of different answers people can give. I would say most people in the 21st century would say no. Um, I think most people, whether they would actually have the courage to explicitly say it or not, would say let's let's ignore Leviticus. Um, and, and in fact, there there are lots of people who would would like to do that with uh, the whole Old Testament because it's like in the Old Testament, it's like okay, God was angry. And, you know, we would rather deal with, like, nice God, Jesus, with who, like, hugs everybody. Um, but that's, that's not really what we get. And actually, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, gosh, what was the sect called? Agnostic? No, Gnostic. Okay. Yeah, I was like, Agnostic. No, that's not an Agnostic teaching. That's a Gnostic teaching, right? So the, the, the Gnostics who were uh, Christian heretics, uh, or uh, not Christian heretics, but... Uh, aligned somewhat with with Christian teachings um, kind of thought that there was you have like the Old Testament God was was the Old Testament God the Demiurge whatever anyways you have like the Old Testament God and he was the, different from the um, that's some weird stuff going on but, but but this separating Old and New Testament or even Leviticus out and saying well that doesn't apply anymore um, I don't think there's uh, a ton of support of that but I, so I think there are people that say no, it doesn't apply. There are people that says yes. I think there are senses in both, uh, in which both are true. Um, so let's start with the no sense uh, at fir uh, first, R right? The the sense that no, the laws in Leviticus don't apply to us. Um, the Bible is bookended with covenants. Um, these are these are agreements between God and His people. So we have the the Noahic covenant. Covenant. God promises that He if you actually read it, he's like, I won't destroy the earth again. I won't destroy the earth with water again. So he actually, he sort of, um, you know, it's a very Hebrew way of, of, of talking. He, he gets to his point at the end, which is that he won't destroy the earth with water again. Um, which is nice, uh, but not exactly comforting, given God has a pretty big toolkit of things he could destroy the earth with. Right? I won't destroy the earth with water. Well, what about meteors and, and volcanoes and, and fire and stuff? But he doesn't say that. Um, and so then we have, but, but it's the covenant. God says he's not going to destroy the earth with water again. I think that's true. I think God, uh, God keeps his word. Um, then we have the Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham. And the covenant God makes with Abraham is that he will bless Abraham and he will give him lots of offspring, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Um, and those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Then we have, God makes all sorts of covenants in Genesis, because um, I, I, it's probably almost certainly not an exhaustive list of all the covenants God's made, but it's it's meant to be like this is telling, telling Jews, you know, who are later on in the history of Israel, this is the story of how we got here, and it's a story of a bunch of covenants, a bunch of promises with God, or God, promises God makes with us. And the promise doesn't really do it 
do the word justice. We have the Mosaic Covenant. Um, this is what God gives to Moses at Mount Sinai. Um, so, uh, you know, Charlton Heston goes up there and he comes back with the law. Um, and this is the stuff we get in Leviticus as part of the Mosaic Covenant. Um, now, th there are covenants that end or are fulfilled. Um, and on the other hand, there are covenants that are indefinite for the life of those who partake of the covenant, right? So marriage, right? That's an indefinite covenant. Uh, you know, we say in our modern ceremony, still death do we part. Um, and if you break that covenant, it's supposed to be a big deal. It tends not to be anymore, in, in, but, but it's supposed to be. The Noahic covenant was indefinite. There was no stipulation um, that if this happens, I can flood the earth again and fill everything with water. That, that was not given. In, in fact, it was unilateral. There was no, there was no other side to it. It was like, okay, Noah, you know, um, don't drink too much wine or I'm going to flood the earth again. That's not in there, which is good because that's, that's what Noah does right afterwards. Um, so the, the, the Mosaic Covenant was not indefinite. And we know that for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus told us that he came to fulfill the law. The law is the five books building the background and detail in the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Jesus said he came to fulfill them. He came to fulfill the covenant. When a covenant is fulfilled, uh, it hasn't been abolished. And J Jesus is very clear to say that. I didn't come to get rid of the old, the old uh, law, the Torah. He came to fulfill it. When something is fulfilled, it's not abolished, but it's no longer active. Right? Two, when Jesus was crucified, uh, we have the veil separating the holy of holies, and it was ripped in half. Uh, so this is the most holy room in the temple in Jerusalem, and it was the veil separating it from everybody else was torn in two. The holy holies was where the high priest went in uh, once a year. Uh, it's, in, it's in Leviticus. We'll get to it. Um, and on the Day of Atonement, he had an encounter with Yahweh. He, he um, on the Day of Atonement. And finally, uh, we know that the Mosaic Covenant has passed because all these sacrifices were to take place in either the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, the temple is no longer with us. The temple was destroyed not too long after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. Uh, it was destroyed in 70 A.D., um, and for nearly 2,000 years now, if you want to follow the Mosaic Covenant, you find yourself in a pretty sticky situation of having no temple, so not being able to actually follow the law in the fullest. I actually like, looked up last night, um, you know, what, what some, now most, uh, most Jewish communities are actually, they're, they're, they approach the lack of, uh, the, the inability to actually follow the Torah almost very evangelically in a way, because uh, they'll say, uh, a lot of the answers that I found online were things like, well, um, we pray to God for forgiveness and God forgives our sins. So we don't need to, we don't need to, uh, to sacrifice um, because we have these prayers and God can uh, forgive our sins through prayers. And they actually have some Old Testament backing for that, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm very hopeful for people that approach uh, approach it that way um, because uh, you know that's I, I think they're probably not far from uh, from Jesus at that point I hope um, but uh, there are actually uh, 
there are lots of, uh, th there are Jewish groups that want to rebuild the temple, of course, um, and, and maybe they will be successful at some point. But there are actually Jewish groups that still attempt to sacrifice on the Temple Mount. Um, and evidently the Israeli government uh, actively arrests them because the Temple Mount is set aside specifically for Muslims and their worship. So every year there are Israelis who like sneak into the old city with like a goat in their back seat and try to make it to the Temple Mount to be able to sacrifice on the Temple Mount. So um, in recent years, I, I, it was a couple years ago, they actually did uh, a goat sacrifice, uh, Orthodox Jews with the priestly vestments and all that with the Levites um, in like a... Uh, a town square not far from the Temple Mount, so getting us as close as they possibly could. Hi, Jonah. Um, and, and so, uh, but but the point is, you can't you can't really follow the law uh, in in anywhere near closeness without the temple. Now, of course, if you look through the history of the people of Israel, they very seldom actually followed the law, even when they had the temple. But um, okay, so that's the no sense. But there's also the yes sense of the question uh, on if, if these laws apply to us as Christian. And the big reason for a yes is that the law teaches us about righteousness. The law isn't righteousness in and of itself. Paul is pretty clear about that when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Um, he says, for the law was not written, was not given for a righteous person, but for those who were ungodly and sinners, unholy and profane, for murderers and immoral men, etc. Um, it's for the lawless and rebellious. So the righteous person is already acquainted with righteousness, but for the non-righteous person, the law is like the training wheels that helps them to desire righteousness. Um, and so in Leviticus, there's a mixture of ceremonial laws, the clean, unthing, clean uh, thing laws, and universal laws. So this isn't I want to take a step back because I always like internally groan when someone says that, and now I'm saying it, so here we are. But this isn't specifically laid out in Leviticus. There's no like thing that says, okay, here are the clean, unclean thing laws, and you're not always going to have to follow these, but here are the universal laws. There's no list, um, but it's pretty clear that some of these laws are specific to the Jews. Things like touching unclean things uh, in some cases, or making sacrifice uh, at the temple. But other laws we see in cultures worldwide. Um, for instance, in this passage, the first one is uh, about how to sacrifice if you sin by not speaking up and testifying if someone is on trial and you're a witness. Right? That seems like if, if you were to look at the Code of Hammurabi or Greek law or Roman law, that's, that's something that would be in there probably or something pretty close to it. There are cultures... Um, so, so you have these cultures like Babylon, like Greece, like Rome, and they're ruled over, if you believe scripture, by God's enemies, by, by, uh, by the other gods um, that God created, and they still recognize God's universal law. Um, very few cultures and very few people will just challenge God's universal law by saying, oh, you know, it's not bad to murder someone, it's not bad to cheat on your wife, whatever. Very few cultures and people will actually go out uh, and say that, what usually happens is they look for exceptions. So it is bad to murder, and murder is killing people, humans, and these other people aren't really humans, they're subhuman, right? They Usually it's about looking for a backdoor, like we agree, yeah, we agree that this is really important, but there, there's a way around it, right? And so we, we, we do that too, right? So... Um, 
you know, it's okay for me to steal from this big corporation because the big corporation uh, charges really high prices and mistreats their workers, right? So stealing is bad. Yeah, yeah, stealing's bad, but stealing I do is okay, right? So we look for ways to justify it, not to the, uh, so um, C.S. Lewis actually points this out in uh, Mere Christianity. Like nobody just goes, uh, nobody, and this is a quote, nobody when, um, when some person says, you cut me in line, that's wrong. The other person almost never says, uh, to hell with your morality, right? It's, it's, it's never, it's, oh, well, no, I deserve to do this because XXX. They don't, they don't, uh, they, they don't challenge the law. They, they look for a back door, which is an old script, right? So Genesis, the garden. Um, so the, the serpent doesn't just come to Eve and say, you know, God's wrong, God's a liar, he's kind of ridiculous, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, he says, did God really say it like that? Like, there's a workaround here, you can still have that. God just wants you to, um, just wants you to be happy, right? Um, so, uh, we, we look for exceptions, but, but very few people deny uh, kind of the universal laws of things that people just shouldn't do. So the, this divide between ceremonial laws and universal laws is not explicitly said, but even the Jews understood it to be the case. We know that because there was a class of non-Jews called God-fearing Gentiles that the Jews believed to be in good relationship with God. Um, they would they would essentially say to them, you, yes, you will you will uh, uh, you will be able to um, have have rewards in the afterlife, or however they would have said that uh, explicitly. Um, <coughs> They were in good relationship, but didn't uh, didn't participate in the sacrifices most of the time. In fact, they couldn't. Um, one of the rooms in the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles because that's as far as the Gentiles were allowed in. Right? You couldn't go past that as a Gentiles, uh, as a Gentile. Uh, so, but Scripture makes it clear that God's laws are good. Um, so this this last fall semester. Um, I was commuting to Clemson a lot, and I worked on memorizing a psalm as part of my commute to school. Um, and I memorized Psalm 19, and there's some interesting stuff going on in light of uh, the law in Leviticus in this passage here. So I'm, I'm just going to read it. So uh, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world um, and then he has sent a tent for a son uh, the son which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chambers like a strong man runs its course with joy its circuit is from the end of the heavens and its circuits the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat and then it goes to talk about the law it says the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandments of the Lord is pure, are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Uh, the rules of the Lord are.